We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hi friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 195. Our guest today is a television host, actor, writer, producer. He's probably most known for his original appearance in Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, but he is also a huge equestrian, and he is a big advocate for the American Saddlebred Association. He is an active member on the board. He has his own farm in Pennsylvania, and he has been an equestrian since the very beginning. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Carson Cressley. Well, I want to hear about everything, but first get me started with how you first kind of found yourself in the horse world. Yeah, I was one of those lucky kids that um, grew up in a very horsey family. And um, my grandmother in like the, I think in the fifties when ponies, Shetland ponies were like all the rage and people watched Westerns on TV and like they, they went to pony rides. Like ponies were very part of the culture in the fifties. Totally. She grew up on a farm with workhorses in the 20s and 30s and, you know, always wanted a pony. And um, so she bought my dad one, I think, in the 50s. And my dad was like, um, I don't want a pony. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, he's like, I'm good. I would like a race car or something, mm-hmm. you know, fast. So she bought a pony anyway, because she really wanted a pony and one pony turned into two and two turned into four and then eight and then uh, in their heyday, they were breeders of Shetland ponies, uh, and they had several hundred. Throughout the 50s, it was a great business, and the 60s, and they had their own production sales at the farm where they put up tents, and there would be an auctioneer, and I missed all that uh, because I was born in like 1970-ish. Mm-hmm. But we always had ponies. We always went to horse shows, and we went to great places like the Devon Horse Show and the Quentin Riding mm-hmm. Club, just all, you know being from Eastern Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania, New Jersey circuit was actually really robust. And back in the seventies, but everybody showed together at the Sussex County fair and the garden and a lot of shows, not as good as those too. We went to, so we were always mixing and mingling. There would be hunters, there'd be jumpers, there'd be the fair claws with their carriages. And we had our Shetland and Hackney roadster ponies. Mm-hmm. And I would be around all of that and competing in those sports. And then around 13, I was like, um, I need to get a horse. <laughs> and I, I thought saddlebreds were so gorgeous. They had big, beautiful, long tails that were up over their backs and uh, the riders were wearing tuxedos and top hats. I thought, oh my gosh, this is like, this is what I need to be doing. These are the most fabulous things ever. Yeah. And um, my grandmother was like, absolutely not. They're too expensive and you have to have a trainer and all of the myths. And even though we were still in the industry, we were in an adjacent breed, it was still kind of um, seemed out of our realm. But I bought one anyway with my own money um, when I was like 13 and my own saddle. It was like $700. I remember it was like every birthday check I had ever gotten, I had saved up. And um, we just rode like at a local boarding stable and, um, you know, lots of foibles and lots of things that are dangerous and things that we just didn't know any better in the 70s, like bringing our horse home to our suburban backyard to give it a bath. (laughs) No. having it run away in the yard and then not being able to get it back on the trail or just 
stuff like that. Cause mm-hmm. we really didn't know what we were doing, but that was about uh, 30 or 40 years ago and I'm still doing it. And now I've been able to have like a world champion and show it a, a different level, but they are great. The American Saddlebred is a great breed and a wonderful horse for people that maybe can't practice as much as, you know, you need to with a hunter or a jumping horse. Um, so they've been really, really wonderful. I'm one of their biggest fans and I try to promote them whenever I can. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like it's something, it's a discipline that generally isn't talked about a ton. I think a lot of people have maybe seen bits and pieces mm-hmm. or seen the saddlebred horses, but don't know a lot. Um, what do you feel like are some of the most, I guess, misconceived notions about this community? Right. Well, I think the number one thing is, you know, people don't understand smooth gated horses. And uh, oftentimes we get lumped in with some of the terrors of the Tennessee walking horse world. And the, the number one thing I have to always say to people is like, listen, we're a trotting breed that actually does that extra fifth gate. So our horses must be sound and able to trot. So, you know, some of those other breeds, the easy riding gated horses, they only do that one, mm-hmm. that one gear. And I suppose, and I don't know much about them, and I'm sure there are wonderful individuals in that breed, but they've gotten a, a you know a bad rap because some people have done some bad things. Right. Um, but our horses do five distinct gates: a walk, a trot, a canter, a slow gate, and a rack. So if they're not sound and they're not happy and their ears aren't up and they're not comfortable, they're not going to be good show horses. So I try to always educate people that no, we're not the same as Tennessee walking horses. Yeah. We are a trotting breed that actually does this one extra thing. And not all saddlebreds can do the slow gait and the rack. Mm. It really depends. Like they're the, one of the only breeds that can be taught how to do it. Um, and you do have to teach them how to do it. That's what I was going to ask too. Yeah. But some horses just aren't good at it. Mm-hmm. And like any breed or discipline, that individual is going to tell you what it wants to do. You know, some horses love to jump high things really fast. They want to be jumpers. Some like to jump really pretty. They want to be hunters. You know, the horse, no matter what discipline, despite what it's traditionally used for, will tell you what it would like to do for its job. Mm-hmm. And we've been really, really lucky um, to have such a great breed that we now do very non-traditional things like Western and we have a saddlebred hunter division. So cool. um, and they've become really, really popular because uh, the horses are beautiful. They're a wonderful product. I hate to say that um, word. And they're good at so many different things. And not all of them excel in the traditional uses. And it's great to find a job in kind of these new disciplines. And they make beautiful hunters. And they've made great endurance horses mm. uh, because their 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 background is so diverse. They're a mix of thoroughbreds and Arabians and pacing horses. And they're really, they're called the Horse America Made because literally um, settlers and the army in, you know, the late 1700s, the early 1800s, they were like, we need an easy riding horse that we can ride all day long. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, have cherries on our butts. Um, so they developed these easy riding, smooth gated horses to either be in the army or to survey large amounts of land or to explore the frontier. Wow. Um, so they were literally a horse that was made in America with a bunch of other breeds that happened to be here 
until they were kind of concentrated into this very distinct breed of its own. Amazing. So going back to when you bought your first horse, Mm -hmm. what did that look like for you as far as, um, was that, that was your first experience with Saddlebreds and were you showing at the time? What did that kind of transition look like for you? Yeah, I mean, back then in the early 80s, there were a lot of like local boarding stables that still had saddlebred horses. And we just, you know, had it at a local barn and we would go to local shows and we would do all the grooming ourselves. We didn't really have a trainer or someone that was, you know, walking us through the process. We just had to, you know, I bought books and videotapes from Helen Crabtree, who's like the George. Um, Morris of saddle seat riding. And we just kind of learned and went to shows and, you know, just like everybody else, like you watch and you see how the winners are doing it and you say, Oh, I guess I shouldn't have an olive green suit. Maybe it should be Navy blue. Um, Oh, maybe my brow band shouldn't be purple. Maybe it should be, you know, a claret color. That's very, very like quiet and tasteful. So we just learned and we did a lot of it ourselves and um, we got better horses and became better riders. And, and I did it with my sister and my niece also competes. So it's been a great family activity. But we started out very, very amateurish in the worst sense of the word. <laughs> but you learned a lot. So that, I think we that's did, always good. We did. And it, was, it was great fun. And it wasn't, you know, we did it that way because that's what we could afford. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a fortune. I think my first horse was like $1,500 yep. and my saddle was 700 mm-hmm. and that's all you really needed. And we were off to the horse show. Like, yep. you know, I had a used suit, you know, that's what you did back then. You're like, Oh, sure. so-and-so has a suit they want to sell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could have like a bullet couldn't have gone through that material. I mean, it was the hardest, toughest wool um, but we had great times. Actually, probably we had probably had more fun doing that than we do, you know, at the world championships now because there's so much more pressure, you know, because mm-hmm. you've spent more money and everybody's looking at you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's and your trainer is stressed. Um, we had great times just, you know, showing around Pennsylvania and New Jersey in the eighties. Yeah, absolutely. So did you growing up then, and then as you were kind of starting your professional career, did you take some time off for riding? What did the start of that look like? No, I've always had horses and I think it's, you know, it's such a community and it's such a part of our lives and the people we show horses with are like family members. We, you know, know when they're getting married and when they have a baby and every horse shows a bit of a giant family reunion. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't fathom not having that part of my life. So I had horses in college and I know most people don't do that. I had one and um, you missed some shows, but it was fine. And I, I still loved it. And it's always been my escape. Like when work is crazy or when school is crazy, you have that horse show to look forward to where you go to like, you're, you're just, it's your world. You know, everybody, you're totally comfortable. You're at ease. Um, It's what you live for and what you love. And it's like fair food Mm -hmm. and um, the smell of shavings and um, all of that stuff is just very soothing for my soul. So there was never a time when I didn't have them. Then I moved to New York City. And again, it's really hard to like have horses when you're trying to pay rent in New York City and you have your first job and you can't get to see them because of course there's no place near New York City to keep them. So that was very challenging. But again, I always had one. It was always a a place where I could exhale and, and relax and have fun. 
And then as I started, you know, working in television, my schedule was even more insane, but at least I had some money to buy a nicer horse. Mm -hmm. So I've always been able to juggle it. And it's not always easy or fun. And it's very stressful. And you're like, oh my God, I've lost my riding suit at the dry cleaners in New York City. And I'm trying to rent a car and get to Harrisburg yeah. in time to show. And like me of all people, I would be like showing in like, you know, like loafers because I forgot my boots <laughs> somewhere. Uh, so those, those things happen too. But um, I've always, always, always had horses. And having a farm, we've always had a family farm with horses. So even if I wasn't showing, there was always a place to keep a horse on ice, so to speak, mm -hmm. and um, have something to ride at home and just stay in contact um, with horses at all times. Totally. Obviously, there, your you know horse life has changed and evolved over the years. You know, like growing up and you know saving all of your money to buy your saddle and your first horse to being later in life, being more you know settled in your career and what you're doing, and maybe having the means to be able to you know attack the discipline at a different level. What have you right. kind of noticed being in kind of two both areas of your discipline? I've noticed, I mean, it's more fun when you, you know, uh, when you were a kid and we were just kicking around and doing it ourselves. Sure. Um, and like I said, the pressure is definitely different when you have a higher level horse and you're showing at a much higher level. Um, so those are, I think, you know, the pressure is different, but I still think the camaraderie and the fellowship that we have at horse shows is the same and it's that thread that keeps us coming back. I mean, we love the horses and I love riding them around the farm. And I have saddlebred horses that were like, I don't want to be a show horse that have come here and they're so good um, at riding around the farm and they're so comfortable and they look great. And people are like, what is that? And I'm like, it's a saddlebred. But I think the camaraderie at the shows is what keeps us coming back and it's that community. And when, I, when I'm in Los Angeles, I've been lucky enough to ride a little bit. I love being a well-rounded horseman, and I'm very old-fashioned. And I would see these old magazines where it's like, you know, Alistair Abercrombie showed his hunter in the morning and then won the five-gated saddle horse stake before he, you know, drove <laughs> yeah. his coach around Central Park at the National Horse Show. I'm like, that is so cool. I would love to be like that. Mm -hmm. So. I didn't have my horses with me on the West Coast, and I was out there working the last couple summers. And Archie Cox, who's a great um, hunter, uh, hunter equitation teacher, jumper, he said, "Come to the barn and ride sometime." And love it. I know how to ride, but I don't know how to, you know, ride hunters. And he's just like, "Oh, here, you said you wanted a spicy mare. Get on this one." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." And you know, he's wonderful, but not a lot of, you know, I was expecting now do this and hold the reins like mm -hmm. this. And when they approach the jump, you know, do this, but he was just kind of like, just go ahead and ride. And it was oh, totally it. different and very disorienting. And you don't want to ride a jumping horse in slippery jodhpurs that we wear for saddle That's horses. True. Yeah. Um, so I got myself the tall boots and the helmet and did mm -hmm. all of it. And I had such a great time learning something else. And I would clear a jump and I would be so happy about it. I would, you know, take my one hand off the reins and pat the horse on the neck, which I think is what you're supposed to do. And he's mm -hmm. like, um, don't let go of your bridle. I'm like, I have, <laughs> I have my bridle in one hand. I'm fine. Yeah. But I had so much fun um, riding jumpers for a couple summers. And um, I think I might even start doing that at home. It's just, 
you know, being diverse and having a great wide set of horsemanship skills Mm -hmm. is so fun and so useful. And it makes you appreciate each discipline. Like uh, a saddlebred is like, I don't know, like a Lamborghini or something like it's very um, elegant and, and has kind of touchy gears. Yeah. And a jumper is kind of like a Land Rover that can go over anything. And like, they're built like tanks. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're so different. The feel of them. I was like, I feel like if I didn't make the jump, I could crash through it and I would be fine because my horse is so stout. Yeah. Whereas a saddle horse, you know, is very, you know, like fine China. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. It makes you appreciate the different disciplines. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's so cool to see even um, I've dabbled in dressage with some friends or polo or things like that. And you can find little like common threads throughout, even though they're so different and like the way right. that you go about it can be so different. So I think that's so cool. And it just, um, there still are so many common themes. And, and I think why all of us do what we do at our core is for the love of the horse. And so that's cool mm-hmm. that that's definitely something that all the disciplines share. Before we get in a word from our sponsor, I want to talk about them for a little bit because I have worked with and worn Tucker Tweed equestrian products for a while now, and I love them. The quality leather is amazing, and I'm always wearing their Wellington wristlet and their backpack. The products are stunning. If you are familiar with Tucker Tweed Equestrian, then you most likely know and have seen how often they promote their retail partners. With the cancellation of a number of nationwide horse shows, many retail partners are missing out on key opportunities to see and service their clients. So, to support their partner tax stores, Tucker Tweed is encouraging you to shop tax store websites during those missed horse show dates or purchase through Tucker tweet directly, but then make sure to tag the respective tax stores in the order notes. This way we can all support tax stores and each tax store receives credit for any purchases made. Thank you so much for that reminder, Jill Tweedy, founder of Tucker Tweed. You are amazing, Jill. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Okay, let's get back to the episode. I have to talk about some fashion stuff because I feel like everyone knows you. Clear eye and style, like, and that you have amazing style sense. And we have to talk equestrian style. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on equestrian style. And do you incorporate it in your personal style? Do you incorporate it with um, with any of your, you know, styling through work? What? what, Tell me. Give me the full rundown. Yes, I can talk forever on that. Um, so I am, when it comes to equestrian style, people are like, oh, wow, you probably love to like, you know, do you have like a purple riding suit? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I like to, I'm a traditionalist, which mm-hmm. is why I love showing horses because none of us need to like ride around in a wool hacking jacket, but it's tradition. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. Totally. And I'm all for little tweaks about making it a little bit cooler, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more easy care. Mm -hmm. But I think at the core, I think what we do in showing horses is so old fashioned and so romantic and so based in tradition. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so wonderful. I think we really need to embrace that and respect that. And I love very traditional, you know, beautiful tailored hunt coats and perfectly fitting breeches and in saddle seat, I love, you know, a black tuxedo 
for formal and a dark navy suit and something a little more natty for a gated horse, which is a little bit more athletic and mm-hmm. more, you know, tweeds. So I really always look to like the 20s, 30s and 40s for like those classic kind of looks. And then, of course, you can update the silhouette and some of the materials, which are more modern. But I like to keep it very traditional. I don't even like a lot of, you know, in saddle horses, we have a lot of, you know, brocades and bright colors. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, take it easy, everybody. Like, let's keep it traditional. And we're still riding horses. It still needs to be like wool. It still needs to be able Mm -hmm. to hold up. Um, And some of these like 10 and under kids are in like, you know, silk brocade jackets. I'm like, first (laughs) of all, you're nine. Second of all, like that's going to wear out in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to keep it traditional. As far as street clothes, I've always thought equestrian style was the pinnacle of like fabulous taste and it looks good on everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of my style icons are Grace Kelly and Jackie Kennedy and they always wove Equestriana into their wardrobes. Totally. And then I worked for Ralph Lauren for seven years. Mm-hmm. And like my interview, they were just like, you know, what do you know about the biz? I was like, I know everything about horses and I know the entire vibe and I understand the culture and um, I get it. And they're like, well, yeah, you are wearing like a hacking jacket right now. It's like, <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love incorporating that into street style. And um, of course, you always get looks like at the grocery store if you're wearing like riding pants, especially as a guy, Mm. or if you're wearing Kentucky jodhpurs, which look like, you know, bell bottoms from the Partridge family with a very tight knee. (laughs) Um, People don't get it, but everyone looks great in riding clothes and equestrian inspired things. And so many designers perennially, you know, go to that, whether it's Valentino or Tom Ford, or, and of course, Ralph Lauren mm-hmm. and Jay McLaughlin and Jay Crew. And like, you know, it's just, it's such an integral part of sportswear, right. you know, since, you know, sportswear evolved in the 20s and 30s when people were like, oh, I'm going to wear this to ride. Oh, I'm wearing this for tennis. Now it's kind of just all merged into like leisure wear that we wear all the time. But right. the roots of those, of leisure clothing is really riding and tennis and golf and all those sports because if you weren't in your sports togs you were wearing you know a suit if you were a guy or a dress if you were a lady that's how it was until like 1950. Wow yeah that's true yeah that's a good point I love um seeing all of the you know different especially like the fall winter runways and you know how it seems like a lot of them are incorporating you know either just like a Chelsea boot or the jackets right. or things it's just so great it just is like ah oh, I love yeah that. no when you see like a Gucci tall riding boot and it's mm-hmm. not really a riding boot but it's inspired by yes it's very thrilling because we all want to wear that because we already know it and love it mm-hmm. so to get a fashion vibe from it Absolutely. Ralph Lauren Tom Ford Chanel Hermes um, they've all done it Absolutely. What would you say is an area of the equestrian industry that you are very passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? There's a couple. I mean, I think um, farmland preservation is really important. And I think we're, you know, we are becoming so removed from horses as a culture Whereas when I was a kid, there was a riding academy like in my little town and everybody could go there and learn how to ride saddle seat or hunt seat or stock seat. And now everything, you know, because of suburban sprawl, 
you know, you might live in a city and there might not be a place to ride that's, you know, an hour away. Right. You know, if you live in Chicago or uh, New York City or Washington or Miami. So really keeping open spaces where you can have horses and have horse farms because access is so important. You have to. My number one thing I tell people all the time, regardless of what your breed and discipline is, you have to see it to know you want to do it. You right. have to like, I went to the Devon Horse Show and I was like, oh my God, what is that? Mm-hmm. Is that the saddlebred? Oh, I need that. That's mm-hmm. what I want. Right. So it's like shoes. Like you don't know you need them until you see them and you're like, God, I wish I hadn't seen those, but now I need those. Yep. We need to keep that exposure um, and we need to keep young people regardless of, you know, and the other big thing is that it's, it's exorbitantly expensive to ride and we need to be really creative about pathways for young people who maybe don't have the financial means to be interested in horses, to get excited about horses and to, and to ride and compete. That's really, really important because we need to always be um, feeding our base so that we have um, new athletes and new horse owners and new horse lovers um, coming through the pipeline. So for me, I think, you know, open spaces, farmland preservation, and creative ways to get our youth involved in riding. Definitely. And I know you're part of the um, board of the American Saddlebred Association. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that and your involvement with that and some, you know, some things that you work on um, as part of that board? Yeah, the the thing that I worked on the most, we have a fantastic, if you're ever and your listeners are ever in Kentucky at the Kentucky Horse Park, and Kentucky's really the heartland for American saddlebreds. It used to be called the Kentucky Saddler, like the Missouri Fox Trotter. So um, really in Kentucky and Missouri is the heartland, Kentucky especially. And we have our own museum. It's called the American Saddlebred Horse Museum. It's in the horse park. It's right next to the International Museum of the Horse. And it's a fantastic educational facility. We do events there. Um, There's a fantastic art gallery. There is a museum that explains the history of the breed. It's a great archive for our industry. And then also an educational arm when, you know, non-horse people come to the horse park, you know, they don't even know what a horse is, let alone a saddlebred. And they get to understand all the different uses and where the horse came from. And that trigger was a saddlebred and that um, traveler was a saddlebred and how horses, how this particular breed really helped shape the development of the United States as well. So I love working on that. We have a gift shop. And we have amazing equestrian-inspired gifts. So, uh, you know, I'm constantly on the lookout, you know, for like plates and uh, napkin yes. rings and um, artwork and mirrors. And um, so I love doing that. That's like, I've always wanted to have a store, but I don't really want to have a store. Mm-hmm. So that fulfills my, you know, inner buyer and uh-huh. merchandise. Yeah, literally. I'm like, I just want to be a buyer. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just like, okay, go sell it. Mm-hmm. I, yep. You know, I don't want to work there. <laughs> Uh, Let so me know how it goes. Well. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, very fun. That's so great. Um, I did not, I, we're in Kentucky all the time. I need to go check that out because that, yeah, love the horse park. It's so beautiful there. Um, I believe you were just there for Equitana, correct? I was, yeah. I, um, I hosted a bunch of things at Equitana, which is also great. I got to um, ride with um, a veterans group that, you know, works with, former military or families of military who've experienced, you know, all kinds of 
um, stress and loss and the horses are so healing. And I got to, um, I think I got to speak about saddlebreds as well. And um, it was just great being at kind of the world's fair of horses mm-hmm. and um, seeing so many different breeds. And there were some people that had like Icelandic ponies and wow, they were so cute. Cool. And um, fjords, whichever one looked like the, the prehistoric Preswalski's oh, horse. Yes. And they have like the little short manes. Um, they were great. And you get to interact with breeds that you kind of, you know, I get to see multi-breeds at our kind of East Coast shows. So Saddlebreds mm-hmm. Hunters, you know, but I don't get to see a lot of like Western breeds and fjords and all these different um, types of horses. So that's always fun to love Equitana. I'm dying to go to the main one in Germany, which just thinking about the shopping opportunities Uh, of all the great Mm -hmm. European, you know, bits and brushes and riding coats. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think they always have the best stuff like in Germany. Absolutely. And then maybe do some like horse shopping while you're there. Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Amazing. Well, Carson, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, get a little rundown of your equestrian life and what you're up to. I am so excited to continue to watch your journey and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And let me know when you're in Kentucky and you can go ride one of my horses. I would love it. I would love that. That sounds like a plan. Okay, stay in touch. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.